Hey everybody, welcome to part two of the two-part special on um, intention. Really, I wonder if we, this is part three of the episode. It sort of is part Major three. We did, we did hire him initially. Yeah. Um, and then we rather than doing that across sort of doing it across six parts, which is what you, which is what it would be if we did each case individually, we're doing it across three parts because it, it makes more sense to to do it that way as I explained at the start of part mm. two. Of th- you know what I mean? It's, it's like Star Wars. Who knows what actual part of <laughs> the saga it, it is? It all you know? runs on and gets progressively worse. <laughs> That's, it's exactly yeah. like Star Wars. Before, yeah. So, a few weeks ago, I was at Hot Water Comedy Club, which I think is probably now the best. It's currently the best gig in the country, without a doubt. Every time you go on, it's just absolute barnstormer. And one of the members of staff there, who's also a student, came up and said oh my God, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, well, <laughs> you and thousands of others. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Obviously We're not. just sort of like throngs of people around you. Just, excuse me, let's just move past this admiring crowd. Yes. Yeah. It was like the end of Spartacus. Where, <laughs> and I listened to I the listened podcast. to Barry Legal as well. <laughs> so anyway. And so does my wife. Emily's about 20. Um, oh, no, no, she's... Doesn't know any better then. Yeah. No, she doesn't know any better. So, um, we came. I came up with a new feature that if anybody wants to join in with this, if you're a law student or just generally interested, you can either get in touch via Twitter or DM us on Twitter or Insta and I'll get back to you and I'll either do it. If you want to be on, I'll voice do a voice recording over the phone unless we can meet in person uh, or we'll just read out your questions. So anyway... This is what Emily had two questions for you, and here they are. Hi, um, I'm Emily. I'm a law student. I've just finished my second year. Um, can I say my university? Do you? Oh, yeah, at the University of Liverpool. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so hesitant. It's a great university, uh, excellent teaching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it is, it is. Um, so I just had some questions for Alex and Chris. Okay, well, probably Chris. Chris Moore, <laughs> yeah, Chris Moore, so than anything because he's doing the barrister. So um, I just was going to ask, uh, um, what things can I do now to improve my chances of securing a pupillage? Um, and then also, when doing the bar course, what to expect? So how many hours of study a day, work-life balance, workload, and assessments? Because I've heard some horror stories and I'm frightened. <laughs> what, what horror stories have you heard? Like... Uh, what worries you most specifically about the horror stories? Um, the fact that there's 14 exams in the one year and they're five hours long. Right, wow. Yes, yes. So I don't know if this is true, but I don't know. Um, so I'm very nervous about this. Right, perfect. Well, let's yeah. find out then. Yes. Okay, so two-part question. Part one, how can she get a pupillage? What can she do now to help yeah. her get a pupillage? I think she's in her second year, or maybe she's in her last year. Maybe she's 21. Can't yeah. remember. Well, she was in the second year when she asked the question. Probably next... <laughs> Next time time progresses, so <laughs> we're now in summer, so yes. I reckon she'll be in third year when, when she, goes she goes back. Yes. So um so what can she do at this point yes. to assist her, you know, basically build her C V as it were. That's sort of what you what you're doing. Cause um yeah, so so I mean what I would advise really and it's a long time I I'm not I don't sit I'm not in chambers, I don't sit on a pupilage committee. Um, but I know this based on what people who do that say. Um, and they're sort of looking for people who 
you know, you, you need to have, you know, your academics need to be good. So one thing you can do is do your wider reading and get yourself at least a 2-1. Yeah. You know, that would be a really good thing. If you can get a first from, you know, a good university, which she's at, yep. um, then that would, wouldn't do you any harm at all, is what I would say. Um, so, yeah, do, do your wider reading. If you, if you know what area of law you want to specialise in, maybe. She did, and it was... Um, oh. It was basically constitutional, I think. So, like public law, that's public sort of law, thing. yeah. yeah. Um, and and well, in, in that case, what I think what you need to do then is is show that you actually do want to get involved in that area of law, and certainly that type of work in like human rights work and all that. Mm. One of the questions when you come to apply for pupilages, one of the questions that you that you'll see is always like, you know, why do you want to work in this area of law, and what can you tell us about it? And if you can say, well, I have been working pro bono as a you know as an advisor within a law clinic to do this and and so on and you know I've been working along you know with it with you know I've done voluntary work with amnesty if it's human rights you know that sort yeah. of thing if you can demonstrate that you are actually committed to this area of work and you know that you want to work in it it's not just some whim based on a sort of fantasy that you have about what it would be like working in that area then I would I would say to, that you should do that um, and I would also look at you know, I think if you're looking, if, if you want to get in an area of law that's quite specialist, which, you know, public law and constitutional law is, um, then, then look at which chambers or which companies, because certainly with public law, you could end up working sort of in-house somewhere, mm -hmm. maybe, um, you know, like within government or something, or whatever, if you want to work for the government, I'm not sure. No, nobody else does at the minute, it seems, no. but, you know, um, <laughs> then, then you can look at getting some work experience with there. So... I, w I would look at chambers that do the area of law you want to um, work in and apply for mini pupillages with them. Pupillages with them. What is a mini pupillage? So it's then? basically you go in for like a couple of days to a week, depending on which chambers, it depends on how they do yeah. it. Um, some are assessed, some are unassessed. And, and you effectively have a look around and, and you shadow um, right. barristers there and, you know, and they'll maybe give you a bit of homework to do to, can you, you know, do this? No, you know, you're not going to be given research that might make or break the case, but you will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you will be given something substantive that that is interesting to you, um, and so they can so you know if it's an assessed one, then they will be looking at how good is this person. So basically, if you go in and make a good impression, hmm. so a year before you then apply for pupilage there. You'll be so, you'll be on their radar already. You know what I mean so it's it's, it's yeah. a good thing to do. So that there would be my things is to make and then if you've got other things that are interesting and quirky about yourself, like not quirky in a way that's going to make you a troublemaker, but something that's going to make you stand out. Because what you'll find is that a lot of people will have good academics. They'll but have no good. Exterior. They'll have done all of these things already, but maybe not have, not be that rounded as people. You know what I mean? Yeah, exterior. I mean, and if you if you've got and also get advocacy experience. So again, like I say, most universe or lots of universities. Or certainly, if it's a city with more than one university, there will be a effectively a law centre which will allow you to do actual casework on real life cases. So it's like a right. drop-in centre, and it's like pro bono. It's a bit like the Citizens Advice Bureau, um, and certainly get involved get involved with them because that would be good. Right. Um, that would be good experience as well. I think she also said she did, also does ballet. And I'm pretty sure she plays like a musical instrument as well. Then that'll look good, you know what I mean? Because yeah. they sort of and like, she works at Hot Water, so she's also like interested in comedy and the arts. And yeah, stuff. yeah, sort of. Yeah, so so yeah, I think I think all of that. That's a pretty good, pretty good scene. Part one done. Yeah. What was part two of the question? Is it really awful when you do the bar exams? 
What are they like? Are they five-hour exams? I mean, I don't recall them being five-hour exams. It's 20-odd years since I did them. You probably finished on two and a half. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was very much a bare minimum kind of guy. Um, and <laughs> so I wanted to side and half as, a, as you know, one of my air levels and just sat there for an hour waiting for everyone else to finish. Do you remember that from university when somebody would go, um, yeah, there's this fellow in his philosophy exam and the, the question was, is the, why? Yeah, and he just yeah. put, because uh, yeah, and you got yeah, a first yeah. like, is this a question if, if this is an answer <laughs> yes no, absolutely bollocks didn't work Did you know, it not? I'm, I'm calling bullshit on that yeah, well, yeah. I think that's why I failed uh, contract <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I remember when I, when I did it, it was called the Bar Vocational Course it was the BVC mm. it's now the BTC having been the BTC how much was it when you did it it, then it was about 11 grand. Was like it? I think it was it, for me in the mid-90s, LPC was five and a half or six. It was the like, bar was an extra thousand, I think. It was, well, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the bar was like almost, it was like about 40%, or maybe like, no, it was like nearly twice as expensive as the LPC, I'm yeah. sure of it. It was, it was maybe, pretty, yeah, pretty maybe, pricey. Maybe I'm thinking a Master's was five grand. Maybe, Cause it, was maybe it was seven and eight or eight and nine. Yeah, and yeah. It, Funny that, isn't it? Again, the, the, like the bar... It's just a bit more difficult to get into if you're poor. It's definitely elite. Like, well, if you look at now, if you if you look at like the criminal bar, the independent criminal bar, mm. it's basically by the time you've paid to do all your qualifications, you've done your year of pupillage for minimum for like virtually nothing, and you then practice. You know they're on strike at the minute because yeah. they're earning basically below minimum wage. So yeah. unless you're independently wealthy, you can't, you can't practice at the criminal bar. It's, it's turning <laughs> it's, the same way as comedy. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's literally it's, like comedy. It's now a hobby for them. It's like literally get paid less. It's not. It's not less in real terms. It's actual less yeah. and in relative terms. And in, you know, like it's the wages have gone down. It's all around less. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's twenty grand now, I think, for the bar course. Mm. So there's, yeah. you don't recall any horror five-hour exams? I don't remember. I don't remember any horror five-hour exams. I remember there being. Um, I remember it being all right. Like, but was I, it not super hard? But was I, it harder than the degree? Uh, probably. It's different though. It's more practical skills. So it depends on how you're wired. I think to be honest yeah. with you, I think some people might find it more difficult to do the practical side of things, um, yeah. because the thing about I was found like advocacy and showing off in front of people fine. You know what I mean? So, what? Yeah. What is the practical side of the bar exam? So you, so you do. So you What's learn some, some advocacy. Stuff? So yeah. You, yeah, you're always every week you'll have advocacy lessons where you'll be in court and you'll have to do like make an application in front of everyone watching all your classmates yeah. watching um, and be given. You know that'll be critiqued usually by a member of the local bar who will be teaching you advocacy. Um, um, drafting skills. Right. Um, opinion writing. Like research, all that, all the day to day skills that you would have to do. Do you do interviewing as well with like. Interviewing, sort of conferencing skills, you would call it. Yeah, so interviewing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of role playing, basically, there's a lot of acting involved. It's like doing doing drama to a degree. Oh, it sounds really good. It was was good. Um, The most boring, and then you have like more dry procedural, like you'll learn about the criminal procedure rules and Mm. civil procedure rules and and so on. but I, I don't remember it being particularly difficult, but I'd, I'd done a master's in the year before. Right. And, you know, that wasn't heavy on lectures, but I did a dissertation while I was doing, or a thesis while I was doing that. So I'd spent all the summer before doing, going to bar school, effectively writing a dissertation slash thesis about um, European competition policy 
And that was a lot of work. So I think comparatively, I found basketball quite right. straightforward. Okay. To be with it. it was back to being led through things, you know what I mean? As opposed to having yeah. to get up myself every day, going to Manchester and sort of do all my research. I know a lot of right. it's hard because there's a lot of it. It's like school when you do GCSEs. You're only interested in a few of the topics. Hmm. Like really interested. And then you've got to do, I remember having to do like physics and somewhere else, maths. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not asked. Yeah. I can remember, I remember the um, criminal procedure and civil procedure exams being like really boring yeah because <laughs> there were multiple choice they were three hours long and it was like wow um someone files an admission of, you know someone files this on this date um by what date do you have to respond to Ugh. that and it's like literally you, you have to have like remembered this civil procedural which is a ridiculous thing to do because in real life you've got the book you've got the white book that <laughs> tells you the, <laughs> yeah, the answer you've you got know, 28 the, days yeah it's 28 yeah, and generally it's either 14, 21 or 28, depending well, on what it is. Like. <laughs> if you doubt, put C. Right, yeah. so that's... So so I personally don't remember it. I don't, unless it's changed, I found it enjoyable doing the BBC. Yeah. Um, Sounds great. And and I very much, again, plodded along and did as little as possible, though. I think you, if you wanted to make it really intense and hard work, you could do, mm-hmm. and you'll probably do better. But likewise, you can just get away with it a bit. <laughs> so it's <laughs> if, we've, if this podcast it teaches you anything, anything about the law, aim low. That's what I say. You know. <laughs> um, so where were we up to? We've so, been looking so at yeah. Do us a recap. We, so we're trying to get to Woolen from Hyam. Yeah. So we started at Hyam. We then spoke about Maloney, which narrowed it from from Woolen, and we we. Uh, and the last thing we talked about was natural consequences and what how do you define natural consequences? Yes. What did um, what did the court mean? What did Lord Bridge uh, mean by that? So, so if you've left a day between some of these cases, Hyams the burning, the jilted lover sets fire to somebody's house as a warning. Yeah. Um, but actually unintentionally, well, uh, accidentally kills two children yeah. through smoke inhalation. Maloney's... The drunken shotgun loading and fires and he kills sort of his stepdad. Thing, yeah. And Woolen is the three-month-old baby that's thrown to the ground by yes. the dad, yeah. Woolen. Yeah. So natural, the, the issue of natural consequence came up literally the following year um, in the in the case of the Crown and Hancock, Hancock and Shankland. Oh. Which is like a music hall duo, don't Hancock they? <laughs> is it Shankland? Is that, a, is that Shankland, the Shankland, yeah. Yeah, it was Shankland. Right, so, so this follows on from Maloney. So Maloney, so 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 what the what the court in Woolen says is, is it is that it se- listen to the word in here. Now these are you know these are law lords using this wording. It seems clear that Lord Bridge used natural consequence as implicitly conveying the concept of a high probability. Now you see, there's an issue there, isn't there? If it, mm. if it only seems clear that he implicitly meant yeah. that he meant that, <laughs> then there's there's difficulty, um, and that's why we've had to have a few cases to de- to decide that. But, uh, but, you know, the guidance didn't make it clear. Um, and so it soon caused practical difficulties in court. So it had to be... And so, so what, what you'll find is if, if there's an area of law that has a lot of appeals in it, that suggests that it's not clear and not very well done. Mm. And sometimes what will happen is that there'll be a number of cases until we'll get to a final case, like in this one with Woolen, where the court will get a grip of it and say, right, no, this is what the law is now. Yeah. You know I mean? Let's have enough of this. <laughs> enough of this messing about with different with natural consequences and foreseeability and so on. This is what the law is. So, 
And um, part of that's because each case has to be taken on its merits. And exactly. It's, so you're limited. Yeah. So so what 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 you'll find is that there'll be some areas of law um, that are even like as narrow, you know, as 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 finite as like what does this wording mean within this particular offence? Um, the the court are just waiting for a case that they can sort it out. You know what I mean? But because Ooh. of the nature of it, like you say, it has to be. It has to be stick to it. You know, they can't go off on right. Right, finally, we've got a case about this. Let's talk about the other issue that we want to talk about. It's, it's got to be specific to the facts of that case. So you've got to wait for the cases to come up, basically. Yeah. Um. So, um, but in in the case of Maloney, it, it only took a year for for the for the sort of court to get the chance to have another look at it. Um. When Hancock and Shanklin went up there. Now the facts of Hancock and Shanklin are that they were both minors who were on strike. Um, you couldn't get any more 1980s than, than... Oh, is this the stone thrown from a bridge? Yes. Oh my God, so this they'd... was such a famous thing when I was a kid. So they'd thrown a concrete block from a bridge yes. onto a three-lane highway, so a motorway, basically, um, on which a miner was being taken to work by taxi. Mm. The concrete block hit the taxi and killed the driver. Now, the defendants were charged with murder. Now, they said that they'd merely intended to block the road. And to frighten the non-striking miner to sort of make him, you know, yeah. you know, continue the strike, but or adhere to the strike. Now, following the guidance in Maloney, the judge directed the jury to ask themselves: Was death or serious injury a natural consequence of what was done? Did a defendant foresee that consequence as a natural consequence? Okay, and the jury convicted the defendants of murder following that direction. Now, the court of appeal held that the Maloney guidelines. And the judge's direction in terms of those guidelines were defective and potentially misleading. The conviction of murder was quashed and there was an appeal to the House of Lords. And in the only speech, Lord Scarman accepted that the Maloney guidelines were misleading since they omitted any reference to probability. Yeah, we did a Scatman joke, didn't we? <laughs> He's the Scarman. <laughs> I want to have to read out. Lord Scarman, skibby dibby dee dee dubum dum. Um, showing our age here with all these references. <laughs> well, that joke was so worth it. <laughs> so, so what they say, so, so what Lord Scarman observes is that they also require an explanation that the greater the probability of a consequence, the more likely it is that that consequence was foreseen. Which seems quite logical, really. Yeah. That. And that if that consequence was foreseen, the greater the probability is that the consequence was also intended. But juries also required to be reminded that the decision is theirs to be reached upon a consideration of all the evidence. So what what you find with a lot of these is that you, you're directing juries as to what they can find and what they have to consider and so on. And you hear about things that have to, you know have to be left to the jury because ultimately the jury are the arbiters of fact and the yeah. judge you know is the arbiter <clears throat> of law. So they do often say that on telly that is for the jury to decide. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If you're in a magistrate's court, it's for the magistrates to decide, because again, they're lay people and they're deciding based on the evidence. Um, so, so you know, th there is a risk sometimes that, and this is where if a, if a judge directs the jury incorrectly, then you've, you're asking, this, what that means is that you're asking the jury to find on the wrong, ba find things mm -hmm. on the wrong basis, you know, so, um, <coughs> so that's that. So you can see that there's, there's more of a guidance towards probability again and, and so that's narrow again from natural consequences because natural consequences while the court in warning think that what he meant was this it's not actually clear so what you need is, is a is a more clear guidance for a jury to, to follow and the and, and what's when what 
The Court of Appeal in Hancock had formulated the guidelines for the assistance of juries. Lord Scarman wasn't persuaded that the guidelines were desirable. The House did not, however, rule out guidelines but emphasised that they should be sparingly used. So they'd sort of suggested that it wasn't, that it needs to celebrate probability, but they hadn't actually set out a test. So while they were critical of of some of the of the laws it was, they didn't actually get a grip of it and they didn't sort of mm -hmm. lay down, this is what the test should be. should be. So then we came to the case of Nedrick, which is the next case um, on the production line, as yeah. it were. <clears throat> now, um, because um, in um, Hancock, Lord Scarman didn't express disagreement with the test of foresight of a probability, which was little short of overwhelming, um, as, would, as has been said in Maloney, um, but he, and he also didn't express disagreement that the law underlying Lord Lane's model in Hancock, uh, which was based on the defendant having appreciated that what he did was highly likely to cause death or really serious bodily injury. He just said that the model directions, were that model directions generally were undesirable. Mm. So he didn't like the idea that there were model directions. And this is one of the issues you get, because you get different judges have different views as to how things should be done. And, and it's only when you get effectively a case like Woolingworth, they can have a look at everything and go actually taking everything on balance, this is what we need to do. Um, so the case became before like Nedrick. So the in, so what happened in Nedrick, okay, is this is another sort of fight, this is another arson case. Right. So the appellant poured paraffin through the front door of a house and set it alight, um, and in the fire a child died, virtually right. identical to yeah. Hyam. Um, now the facts were remarkably, yeah, as, as the court, I think it is, very similar to Hyam. Um, and the trial judge in Nedrick framed his direction in terms of foresight of a high probability that the act would result in serious bodily harm. And what he said was that when determining whether the defendant had that necessary intent, it may therefore be helpful for a jury to ask themselves two questions. One, how probable was the consequence which resulted from the defendant's voluntary act? And two, did he foresee that consequence? Which is a fairly straightforward, you know, it's, it, yeah. that, that nicely breaks up the issue. If he didn't appreciate that death while serious harm was likely to result from the act, he cannot have intended to bring it about. Um, if he did, but thought that the risk was to which he was exposing the person killed was only slight, then it may be easy for the jury to conclude that he did not intend to bring about the results, uh, but basically, might this is me talking now, but was possibly reckless as, as mm. to doing so. And I think that's, that's, you know, again, you're talking about degrees of probability, and it's like the more probable something is, the more likely you are able to, to infer that, that someone had the intent to, to cause, that, um, cause that injury. So what are those two then, again? The two questions. The two, the two things that, because it's the first time it's separated. So Nedrick Nedric says, says, how probable was the consequence which resulted from the defendant's voluntary act and did he foresee that consequence? Right. So you're talking about probability and foreseeability and, and, and it's not been put in those terms. If you think about to Hancock, there was, a, there was criticism because it didn't talk about probability, mm. it was just foreseeability. Now I think that, I think that what the Lord Bridge is trying to say in, in, in uh, Maloney by natural consequences, sort of can, covers those two things. It's yeah. foreseeable and it's and it's probable, but because it didn't actually break it down into those, into its constituent parts, it's open to interpretation as to what it meant, which is why we've ended up here. here. You know, well, um, and then we end up. This goes even further, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the, the first test is probability from Nedrick, and the second one is is it foreseeable? Is foreseeable. Now, what one one of the one of one of the issues that you've got there, if you think about it, is like probability and foreseeability are into into you know the, the more probable something is, the more likely it is that someone foresaw yeah. it. 
So, so it's, but you, it's, you can't separate yeah. the two really. Yeah. Um, but there, there's still, but it, it still would be open for a jury to find that even though something was probable, that this this particular defendant, based on the evidence we've heard, mm-hmm. didn't foresee, and that might be something to do with their understanding and, and so on. So, and I think this is one of the issues that that the court had with issuing um, guidance in terms of di- you know in terms of directions and having that these are these directions um, is is that it does create almost like an objective test whereas a subjective one might be more just because people's understanding and, and so on is, yeah. is different. Because I'm, I'm just trying to apply this now to, so there must have been a reason that in the Wooling case that they thought that this two-step process wasn't quite enough, to, so they thought they needed to refine it further. Well, basically what Wooling does is effectively uphold Nedrick. So oh, right, so okay. The, so, so they don't so change... They don't, they don't particularly change, change it. So, right, so, okay. so the law as it stands now, um, is, so, you'll, you'll, so you'll hear Nedrick directions or Wooling directions, and, and it's the same thing, right. okay. basically. They uphold Nedrick. So, so, they, so they, they review the cases, say, yes, to Nedrick, and we think the law is right now with Nedrick. Right. Um, but, and we will... And as the House of Lords, we are the highest court in the land, so we will, we will say, this is how the law should be. And it's remained that way ever since. So basically, if, 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 what, what the direction would be now is that, um, and it's remained that way for over 20 years, is that a result is intended when it is the actor's purpose to cause it. So that's the first point. A result is intended when... When the... it's the actor's purpose to cause the result. So that's right, direct okay. intention. Um, a court or jury may also find that a result is intended, though it is not the actor's purpose to cause it, when A, the result is a virtual certain consequence of his act. Yeah. And B, the actor knows that it's a virtuous certain consequence. So it's not just whether it's foreseeable, whether it's probable, it's got to be a virtual certainty. So it's so probable yeah. that barring some unforeseen intervention, it is a direct consequence of it. And I think, actually, well, that's what the what, that's what Lord Bridgman in Maloney, when he talks about natural consequences, yeah. that it is naturally going to follow that this will happen if I do this thing. So... If, if you think about, um, you know, if you think about sort of setting fire to a house, if you're mm-hmm. aware that there are people in the house asleep upstairs, then I think it probably, you probably could make the case that it's a virtual certainty that if I set fire to this house using an accelerant and I don't phone the yeah. police, I don't give anyone any warning, that people in there will be caused serious harm. Yes. So, it, you know, I think it's easy to make that case there. There will always be cases that, that fall outside of, of it. But yeah, so 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 that but but I think in some cases like that, I think it, I think it's fairly straightforward. So so that's so that's where the law is now. What's interesting though is that it's it, it's had to be clarified further, just as a little aside, um, because it's it's effectively fills the gap is what it does. This this thing because if you think about if you start talking about foreseeability and probability and so on, then it's if you just take the Nedrick test as being the test for murder, then actually you could have, you could maybe get to a stage where someone effectively had intention to kill mm. but their actions didn't weren't didn't create a like you know a virtual certainty that the person would be caused serious harm so he was saying like i wanted to shoot you and i was like right i'm going to intentionally shoot you but i'm so su- i'm notoriously such a bad shot that it's not a virtual certainty to be caused yeah. serious harm because yeah. i might miss you so so what 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 the cut of the, the in the case of md uh, which is uh, from 2004 um basically the court of appeal confirmed that actually what, what it does, it actually fills the gaps for where you can't prove intention. Um, but, you know, it, it's something where it sits between manslaughter and murder and, and, it, and it can be 
brought into into the case of murder, if that makes sense. So finally then, what was the verdict in Woolen? So the verdict in Woolen was that um, basically his, his, his appeal was successful. So he wasn't convicted of, of murder. He was That was quashed and they had a conviction for manslaughter substituted instead. Um, that basically in the lower courts there had been a misdirection um, to to the jury because and, and effectively the reason why the court were engaged in this discussion about what where should where should the the sort of boundaries of intention lie um, was that effectively the lower courts had set that too wide um, and then using the Nedrick um, definition of of, of intention. Uh, which was basically it's got to be a virtual certainty. The court found on the found on the facts of this case um, that um, that wasn't a virtual certainty by what he'd done, um, and we don't want to go into too much detail about the facts because they're not entertaining. It's very no. sad, um, but um, that basically he was he should be convicted of manslaughter and not murder, and so they quashed as I said they quashed his conviction, and he was he had manslaughter put in its place instead because of. All the various factors that are in place, as we've discussed before, about you know tiredness and 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 so on and so forth. But you know they've not accepted a defence of provocation, um, but but they found that um, in essence on the facts that Nedrick was correct, and on that basis he was com- he was he was um, he had his appeal quashed. Sorry, his conviction quashed. Um, so sort of a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, it was an appeal that was based on legal principles, Yeah. you know, and, and, and should he been, you know, I, I, I assume this, this guy Woolen is, feels dreadful whichever way it was. Yeah. Um, so that there's no, there's no happy ending there for him. They um, always are, aren't they, on legal but principles? But f- from, from a legal, from a jurisprudence perspective, it's a happy ending because we have greater clarity for the law. And you can tell, if you think about it, in terms of, as I said before, the number of appeals that were in, involved in these in this area up until uh, Woolen in 1998. And there's been not, it's been the, the law, for, it's been settled law for 20 years. So that suggests that the court got it right when when upholding Nedrick. So you might have heard the dog snore for the last 10 minutes through that because she's fast asleep at your feet, isn't she? So apologies. Um, for that, she's quite an old dog. She's just been out and she's shattered. Um, if you like the episode or subscribe or follow, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, if you want to be involved in the question at the beginning, we'll just ask Keo stuff about the law. Can be anything. Um, get in touch with us via Twitter or Instagram. Twitter's best. Either one's good. I can do either one. Yeah. Um, and then. I'll get in touch with you and uh, we can ask Keo more things. Because if you don't, we end up doing introductions about toast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what happens is Bowman will just be trawling my Twitter feed <laughs> yeah. for the last month to see what I've posted that he disagrees with vehemently. <laughs> everything. I disagree with everything. <laughs> everything you stand for, I am opposed to. <laughs>